Hello and welcome to another salon exclusive, Lucky Lucky You. We want you to be the very first to hear about the books that we are most excited about. So listen up here on our podcast for a series of exclusive readings from writers handpicked by us just for you, which does sound like a supermarket advert, makes them sound a bit like raspberries or maybe gooseberries, but it's true, they are handpicked by us just for you and they're available only on our podcast. Here at Salon, we're very excited about the debut novel from Okechuku and Zelu. It's called The Private Joys of Nena Maloney. I love the jacket. I'm so excited about the book and I love him. He's a vital, brilliant new voice. This is a story full of big ideas, exploring race, gender, class, education and all the different ways that people grow up. In it, we see Nana Maloney approaching womanhood, full of questions about how to be when there's so much she doesn't know of her own cultural and family history, and her mother Joni wondering how to love when she has never truly been loved. The story is by turns painful and by turns hilarious, but definitely one you'll want to hear. So here's Okechuku and Zelu with an exclusive extract from The Private Joys of Nana Maloney, published by the pioneering and brilliant Dialogue Books and available now. I'm Okechukutenzalu, and I'm so excited to be doing this reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon. The Private Joys of Nana Maloney is a comedic novel set in modern-day Manchester. It's about Nana, a half-Nigerian teenager who really wants to connect with her Igbo-Nigerian culture. Her once close and tender relationship with her mother, Joni, becomes strained as Nana begins to ask probing questions about her father, whom Joni refuses to discuss. Their lives are filled with a cast of characters asking similar questions about identity and belonging while experiencing everyday life in Manchester. In this section, taken from the first chapter, Nana and her mother, Joni, are at the wedding of Ophelia, one of Joni's old friends from university. Unfortunately, Nana, who's only 16, has been seated at the kids' table with a boy called Jason, who's had too much to drink. Meanwhile, Joni is trying to reconnect with another old friend. It is not difficult to make conversation with strangers at a wedding breakfast, but, Joni found, it is often difficult to make good conversation. This is due partly to the nature of the event, which necessarily involves giving over at least 40% of your time to people who have nothing interesting to say beyond the intensely boring minutiae of their lives, but an awful lot to say about those minutiae. Oh, why, yes, I would like to see more photos of your new home gym. How... darling. Sadly, Joni's friendships with many of her Cambridge classmates had become strained not long before graduation. Also sadly, guests at a wedding breakfast are usually seated in circles, so that even if you are sitting next to someone you want to talk to, the home gymmers of the world tend to muscle their way into the conversation. Cornered by a man who was in the throes of divulging to her the vast depths of the knowledge he had acquired twenty years ago from his Latin GCSE, Joni cast a longing look over her shoulder at Jonathan. He was being similarly detained by a couple who were taking advantage of the strides made in technology by showing him what looked like eighteen physical photo albums worth of photographs in the happily condensed form of a mobile phone's image gallery. Then again, a part of Johnny was glad that she was trapped. Being free to talk to Jonathan Tucker meant confronting what a terrible friend she'd been to him. She'd barely kept in touch at all since graduation, and she knew he'd needed her. Her more than most. 
His church friends had melted away when he got out of hospital. But things had got so scary, so quickly. She'd been too ashamed to speak to him for years afterwards. I suppose you'll know Kaikilia Sest in Horto, won't you? said Max, a presumably single television producer. Joni wasn't sure, but he seemed to be hoping that a woman who'd studied classics at Cambridge might be delighted by the Latin equivalent of the cat sat on the mat. Er, uh, yes, said Joni. Rings a bell. I mean, I did my undergraduate dissertation on... I loved my Latin GCSE. Such a rich subject, isn't it? And so diverse. Yes, absolutely. At university, we studied a lot of different... Everyone should study classics. I have so many happy school memories. We had the most marvellous teacher, easily my favourite. Had the most exciting lessons, Mr... Um, Mr... Mr... As Max laboured to recall the name of his beloved schoolteacher, Joni took the opportunity to take a swig from her glass of wine. Quick, said Jonathan to her in an urgent whisper. What? Just look like you're saying something to me. I am saying something to you. Something important. Why? Because if I have to look at another holiday photo, I'll ask the bride to cut me instead of the cake. Ah. You as well? The charming gentleman to my left has spent the last two courses bringing me up to scratch on Latin grammar. Despite her 38 years, Joni still found the boldness of people's stupidity surprising. Men patronising her at social events people making casually racist remarks about her daughter in public, people referring incessantly to refugees as immigrants. Even though she knew full well that it happened every day, she somehow always forgot that it could happen, and did happen, to her. It was a bit like realising the creature you used to think was hiding under your bed at night, the one you told yourself was imaginary, was real all along, and that he spoke rudimentary Latin. Ah, said Jonathan. Yes, I think I might be able to construct whole sentences by the time they clear away dessert. Good thing I spent three years at university preparing for this dinner or I'd be stumped. Didn't you get a first in the end? Joni smiled. In the end, yes. And what are you doing these days? I write crosswords, mostly. I do the odd bit of journalism to make ends meet, but I've never been able to find anything steady, unfortunately. What about you? Financial auditor. Oh, how darling. Jonathan cut his eyes at Joni playfully and then looked over at their neighbours. They were fully occupied with their new victims. Max appeared to be busy informing an A&E doctor about his A-star in GCSE biology. Joni, I... Jonathan, I want you to know I'm so sorry I never kept in touch. Jonathan didn't say anything. For a moment, Joni looked down at her hands in silence. She'd only blurted it out because a part of her had hoped that Max would interrupt her too quickly for Jonathan to reply. How many times had they found themselves in the same room at weddings, birthdays, anniversary parties? How many times had she wished that she was courageous enough to confront what she had done to him and apologise? How many more times would she hide from what she had done? Maybe one more, at least in part. She was sorry and she wanted Jonathan to know she was sorry, but she couldn't bear to know what he must think of her. Eventually, Jonathan said, I know why you didn't. I understand. 
Joni looked at him sharply and nodded. That was Jonathan for you. A less honest person might have said, It's okay. But of course it wasn't okay. What she had done to him could never be okay. I'm so sorry, Jonathan. For everything. Everything. Jonathan said, Joni... But then he fell silent. He didn't look as though he was thinking of something to say. He just wanted her to stop. Sometimes, Joni thought, people can hurt you so badly that the apology is almost as bad as the act itself. Okay, she nodded. She realised suddenly that she was crying and dried her eyes. Don't cry, Joni, said Jonathan, putting his hand on her knee. He always was such a warm person. How could he comfort her now, after everything? He gave her a mischievous smile. Dry your eyes. We're at a wedding, she laughed. And, he said, as he saw Juliet and Cressida approaching, we're in marvellous company. So, what do you think? Nana had to take a moment. Jason, she didn't catch his surname, but she suspected there were a few of them, connected by one or two hyphens and several centuries of careful inbreeding, had just spent the past few minutes outlining the vast fortune at his family's disposal. True, he had at first experienced that deep and gnawing discomfort with which enormously wealthy people discuss their enormous wealth, but he had soldiered on, and, with the help of a glass of Pinot Grige, he was soon drunkenly laying out his inheritance like a baboon showing off its arse at the zoo. Tantalisingly, and yet persistently, he had given Nenna to believe that he was fully prepared to whisk her away to any one of at least four castles at a moment's notice. So great, he explained, was her beauty. Nenna had never been to a castle before, and so she might have been tempted, were it not for the fact that she had a boyfriend, some sense, and a great deal of shock at the way in which Jason expressed the beauty he perceived her to have. I mean, he said, breathlessly, there's just something about you. I just find you randomly beautiful. Uh, thank you, said Nana. She wondered again why she was old enough to be put through the gauntlet of Jason's amorous advances, but not yet old enough to drink wine, gallons of wine. She had the urge to tell him that she was significantly older than him, and that he had bitten off more than he could chew, but she found herself speechless at the sight of his twelve-year-old mouth engulfing a slice of cake that was at least half the size of his head. Most of it ended up smeared around his mouth, as when a child might put on lipstick for the first time. "'I mean, I don't get it,' he said, utterly uninhibited by the fact that his face was barely visible beneath layers of buttercream icing. He reached for Nenna's cake. She was too horrified to stop him. Instead, she silently stood up and backed away. At what was, in theory, the grown-up's table. I hate weddings, said Juliet. Me too, opined Cressida. They had descended upon Joni and Jonathan suddenly, blithely disobeying Ophelia's strict injunction to keep to the seating plan, and interrupting what had looked like it might become a kind of reconciliation between Joni and Jonathan. At first, Joni had tried to encourage them to think more optimistically, but she found herself awash in a sea of negative thinking. Somehow, Cressida and Juliet had a way of turning even the most promising love story into a tragedy. "'I reckon it'll all end in tears,' said Juliet. "'I give them a month,' said Cressida. She had spilled some wine on her sleeve, 
and was dabbing at it distractedly with a napkin. I mean, they come from completely different worlds. That sort of thing never really lasts. I don't know, said Jonathan, hopefully. They do have slightly different outlooks, I suppose, but I'd hardly say they were from different worlds. Don't they both own horses? And you never know, said Joni. It could work out. Sometimes people... No, said Cressida, they don't. To be honest, I'm a little surprised she's even getting married in the first place. She used to be so exciting, and marriage is so... Boring, said Juliet. It's a boring wedding with a boring groom thrown in for good bore. The whole wedding thing is so predictable, and all of our friends are doing it, you know. This is the third wedding I've been to this year. Doesn't anybody want any, you know, danger anymore? Joni watched askance as Juliet played expertly with her steak knife. Exactly, chimed Cressida. When did we all get like this? What happened to the kind of guys we used to date when we were younger? Mmm, said Juliet dreamily. We had some good times at uni. Especially you, Joni. Me? Yeah. What happened to that guy you were dating? Boris? Morris. The Christian, said Cressida, unimpressed. No thanks. And what's up with that name? Well, actually, he... No, he wasn't boring, explained Juliet. Granted, he was a bit of a Bible basher and everything, but, well, he was black, wasn't he? So didn't he have a... Oh, who cares, said Cressida wearily. When you get right down to it, one man's much the same as another. Well, I only hope Ophelia knows what she's getting herself into with all this... <gasps> Hi, Ophelia! You look great! How great was that? We loved that reading. The Private Joys of Nena Maloney is available to buy now from all good bookshops. And we've got a great list of indies on our website.